You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. This is Randy Bolander on day 4,362 of the quarantine. Now, don't quote me on that number. I may have missed a couple of days when I nodded off, but frankly, who knows what day it is. I think it's Wednesday, and I think it's Wednesday because I looked it up earlier, and so I have a fair amount of confidence. Uh, But it has been a while, and uh, we would like nothing more than to see you face-to-face, but alas... We are living this way, and it seems to be working. We are very, very grateful for that, as we do all we can to flatten the curve of the coronavirus. We are also drinking our coffee three cups at a time if we are chasing children, like I am. Uh, I hope that you have had plenty. It's that third cup that really brings the magic, and that's what we want to find today. I was thinking as I was pouring the cup for the podcast that uh, it would be fun to do a podcast episode where I brought back some of the interesting characters that appear in other stories that I tell. Um, I'd like to bring back Drunk Santa and find out, um, you know, how his subsequent Christmases have been. Uh, Another guy I'd like to bring, and I don't know if I could bring him or not, but uh, about 20 years ago, I was teaching a group of maybe 150 pastors about outreach. We were at the Vineyard in Cincinnati, and we were talking about doing this coffee outreach. We'd go out and hand out coffee. We had these great backpacks that would carry about, five, I don't know, four or five gallons of coffee, had a nozzle. And back in that day, you could walk around and hand people hot drinks, and they would take them and drink them. I don't know that they would do that today, but back then that they did. And so I'm teaching all of the pastors how to do this. It sounds simple, but you know how things are. The simpler they are, the more opportunities there are for people to, you know, panic and do it wrong. So we're explaining all this when it's all done. There's a little Q&A time and, and a line forms. People come up and want to talk. And, and so I'm sitting on the edge of the stage talking to people one after another, and there's a guy I guess he's maybe fourth back in the line, fifth back in the line. And when he gets to me, he tears into me immediately. Like like my father would have said, he, he tore into me like a puppy on a new tree root. I mean, he just tore into me. And it took me a while to figure out what he was upset about. Finally, I put it together. He's accusing me of pushing drugs. Uh, it was his conviction that caffeine should not be imbibed by uh, believers because that was a drug. And so we were out... We were out pushing drugs. I think he would be fun to have on the podcast, on the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. We would probably have to interview him uh, in the afternoon uh, because in the morning, well, he doesn't drink coffee. So that wouldn't work very well. Anyway, hope the quarantine is going well at your home. It is getting a little easier maybe on the school front for us. Uh, Someone loaned us a, a couple of Chromebook computers. I think I mentioned last week. It has changed everything because now everybody has a device. Before we were swapping out trying to get this kid to do this while this one was doing that. Now everybody has a designated device. Life got a lot, lot easier. We're beginning to find a little routine in life. Kids staying up a little bit later, of course, because they don't have to get up and get ready to go to school. They can just get up and roll out of bed and do school, which gives us a little quiet time to spend in the Word. And and, uh, that's been good. I have worked my way through Psalms. Psalms are phenomenal for processing emotions. If you have been angry, sad, bitter, confused, elated, uh, enter any other emotion that you might have had, psalms are phenomenal. They just help you work through all that stuff. I have also recently been working through the Proverbs. 
And the Proverbs are so practical. Uh, some people get a little flipped out by the Proverbs because um, there are contradictions within the Proverbs. People say there are no contradictions in the Bible, have never read Proverbs, because you'll find Proverbs uh, in 26, Proverbs 26. It literally says, answer a fool, or I'm sorry, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. One verse tells you, yeah, don't even respond to a fool. Next verse says, no, you have to respond to a fool. You're reading this going, what am I supposed to do? Do I respond? Do I not respond? The thing I love about Proverbs is it allows you to take wisdom and fit it into your own context. And you have to actually use wisdom on how to use it. These are not uh, um, one-size-fits-all rules. You have to wrestle with these. Sometimes you need to speak up. Sometimes you're sitting on the edge of the stage and somebody accuses you of pushing drugs. You don't answer that guy. You don't respond to that. That's never going to go well. Love, love, love the Proverbs. Proverbs 8 tells us, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Behind the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out to you, O man, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. And it goes on and on to depict God displaying his wisdom at every hand. And you can find a ton of it in the Proverbs. It has been good. So today we're going to do a couple of questions and then talk a little bit about the disrupted time that we find ourselves living in. Uh, these are questions that were submitted on Instagram. And so we'll jump into them and answer them as we go. Question number one. What are you doing right now? Well, I'm sitting in our bedroom closet recording a podcast, but I understand that's not what they're asking. They're saying, what's going on with your life on a, on a grander scale? And I, I'm realizing there are people that don't know what's going on and others that do, and I always assume everybody does, and that's not always true. We are not pastoring any longer. I resigned in early December and uh, took December and, and some time into the new year to kind of regroup starting to ask God what was next in our lives and praying about that, and then corona. I mean, that's about what happened. We were just beginning to think about, Lord, what do you have for us? And then here we are under lockdown. So we have been praying with friends on Zoom, taking communion regularly with some friends, uh, facilitating, facilitating some time, connecting, um, worshiping and teaching together on, on Sunday, and just kind of celebrating this season where we're all just kind of together and alone. And those Zoom meetings, they're chaos. They really are. But you know what? They're better than nothing. If I never, ever hear the phrase online worship experience again, I'm good. I'm good because it's hard. It's tough. Teaching isn't too bad. Worshiping online, it's just difficult. And so we look forward to times when we can be together. But in the meantime, we're like the rest of you. We're saying, Lord, what is next? And for our family, we really don't know. So that's what we're doing right now. We'll move on to easier ones. Number two, how do you find God's will? How do you hear him tell you what's next? Hmm, ironic that you, that would be the next one. You know, we're looking for the Lord's will too, as everybody is. And so there's a couple of things that I use as guidelines. First of all, what has he already said? What has he written down? What's in the word? If you're asking God what's next and you're not reading your Bible, 
uh, it's going to be really hard to hear. So I wonder what he has written down, also what he has said to us in the past. We look in our journals and and compare compare notes and compare dreams we've had and what has the Lord said uh, in the greater lesson of our lives. We also ask the question, what does wisdom say? You may need to consult with other people. You may think that you have heard from the Lord. And uh, there are nine reasons why that cannot be God. Find some wise people and ask them, what are your thoughts on this? That doesn't mean they get veto power over you, but don't be afraid of the wisdom of others. What has God said? What does wisdom say? And this is the one that is kind of um, probably disregarded the most. What does peace say? Like if you think you have a trajectory in your heart, you think this is what God would have you do, does it cause great anxiety? Uh, beyond just uh, fear of the unknown. But I mean, is there peace there or is there anxiety? The Lord will lead you in the perfect peace. Finally, when you're looking for what the Lord's will is in your life, have grace for yourself when you miss it, okay? There are going to be times where you miss it. Six or seven years ago, Kelsey and I felt we were moving to Pasadena to be with Lou and Therese Engel. We felt it so strongly that we actually announced it. We told people we were moving to California. From the moment we announced it, not one thing came together that would have enabled us to do that. You say, well, Randy, how do you explain that? We missed it. I mean, we prayed about it. We, we, we got it wrong. And we had to back up. We had to eat a little crow. But you know what? I'm the only person that remembers that anymore. Like, no one remembers that, oh, you missed it. No, it, that was between the Lord and I, and, and we moved on. It's okay. Recognize, though, that when the Lord tells you to do something and you follow him, you're still stepping out of a perfectly floating boat. I mean, it's going to feel a little crazy. It's going to feel a little challenging. I've been reading E.M. Bounds in the morning, uh, his collect, collected works on prayer uh, that I've referenced at other times. And in regards to uh, doubt and fear and faith and following God, he says this, Doubt and fear are the twin foes of faith. Sometimes they actually usurp the place of faith, and although we pray, it is a restless and anxious prayer that we offer, uneasy and often complaining. Peter failed to walk on the water because he let the waves break over him emotionally and swamp the power of his faith. Taking his eyes from the Lord... And looking fearfully at the water all about him, he began to sink and cry for help. Lord, save me. The beauty of that story is the Lord still saved him. He made a mistake. He stepped out on the water. It was working. He took his eyes off Jesus. He sunk. It wasn't over. So you can get it wrong, and he can still pull you out of the deep. That's how we work to find God's will. Look what's in his word. Find wisdom. Find peace, have grace for yourself, and take a step. Another question, and this one is a doozy. You get one cookie for the rest of your life. Now, I think what this means is I can only eat one kind of cookie. I don't think we're getting limited to just one cookie. That's how I'm reading it. So you get one, one kind of cookie for the rest of your life. Boy, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, Jackson, our oldest, was a, a baker and would make cookies. He would, when he would be full of angst as a teenager, he'd make cookies. I'd come downstairs, there'd be like four dozen cookies every night. Uh, now, Piper, who is 10, has become a baker, and she made homemade marshmallows the other night. Have you never had homemade marshmallows? They're insane. 
They're also square. It takes a little getting used to. But if I had to say cookie for life, snickerdoodle, it pairs well with coffee. I think that's the best. Okay, let's move on. Question number, what are we at here? Four, maybe. Question four. What's your take on mental illness and mental health? Now, those are kind of two different things. Uh, there are physical issues or traumatic struggle. One is internal or chemical, and the other is situational, okay? And both are hard. There are people who have uh, a physical or chemical things that are, are they struggle with, and that, that causes some form of mental illness. There are others who have had things that have happened to them they're working through that uh, mental health is, is a part of that. Um, that's why it's important to find the right therapist when you're looking for help because the roots of the issues are very, very different. And the one that is involved uh, in the traumatic issues may not be that much help when it's, it's something chemical. So it's important to find the right person. There is a fake debate in the church about mental illness and mental health. And it's represented by two extremes. One says, it's all mind over matter. God will break in and set you free, and you just suck it up until then. The other extreme would have every person they know in endless therapy forever. And I call this kind of the battle between the theology of breakthrough or believing that God can change things or the theology of coping, which means you need to figure out how to live with this for a while. Now, those two things are both true. We do need coping skills. We do need to learn to, to deal with the struggle that is internal, particularly those things that are, are physical. You know, there are things about me physically that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life, and some of that mental illness could be a part of that. Uh, the other things that are, are more traumatic-induced, they often you can work through those and make considerable headway, but it still takes work. It still takes coping skills. And over the top of all of that, the Lord can break in and do whatever he wants. So I believe in a theology of, of coping to an extent, but I never want to surrender that theology of breakthrough, that ultimately God is my designer, and God can help me, and God can change things. And day after day, as those things remain the same, I need to learn how to walk with them, and I need to learn how to cope. So if therapy is helping, go. If counseling is helping, go. Uh, but realize that may not be what you do for the rest of your life. And realize that the Lord can do in a moment what might take us a lifetime to work on. He allows us to work on some things. He breaks in and changes other things instantly. Now, on the physical side, or the physio physiological side, there are often things that people just struggle with for the rest of their lives. One of the really difficult parts about all of this is that the mental health system is very hard to access. It's not like going to the doctor and getting an appointment. It's very hard. Um, we've had some experience with uh, getting Zoe in to see some psychiatrists uh, and uh, some counselors. To get access to that has been hard. We've had to press really, really hard to get the doors open. And it's almost as if the mental health system only responds to emergencies. And uh, you have to explain to them that this is an emergency. So it's difficult. 
But I'd say if you need help, press in, find it wherever, believe God, and do the work, because he will often, in this issue and in a hundred other issues, work with those who are working on their stuff. So that's my take on it. It's not it's not a professional take by any means, but um, if you need help, go, 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 talk, talk, talk. And believe God. Do both. Next question. Is all of this quarantine and this pressure and all the things we're facing, is it good or bad for the church? Now, this is going to sound really simplistic. It's good for the church. Why? Because the Bible says he works things together for his good. Could be hard, could seem impossible, could be uncomfortable. But days of discomfort are fertile ground for revolution and for change. This will ultimately be good for the church. Sometimes what people are asking is, is this going to be easy or hard? I can tell you that. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be good. Last week, I went to Kelsey's office uh, just to get out of the house a little bit and pray. And I was praying for friends, uh, people who were, were praying with, uh, praying for faces, praying for friends in ministry. And I just started calling out friends who are pastoring, calling their, out their churches in prayer. And one after the other across the United States, I would pray for them. And it, would, it was like it would dawn on me, oh, wow, they're not meeting on Sunday either. Oh, wow, they're not meeting on Sunday. It was just, it was, um, it was a little shocking as I understood how collectively disrupted we are. Okay, like not, it's not just us. It's not just our household. How widespread this disruption is. Here's the really good news about that. God moves when things are disrupted. In the moments that make a lot of people nervous, God really favors the bold and people who take action. And the quicker that we can align our heart to what God is doing in seasons of disruption, the further down the road we will be when the disruption is over. He has always done things for those that have embraced disruption. You're saying, Randy, do you think this disruption has been caused by the Lord? I think the Lord is in control of all things. I don't think this surprised him a bit. And I think there's actually a lot of lessons to learn. Bob Sorge released a message last week about what the Lord is saying through this coronavirus. It is chilling. It is kind. It is super biblical. I would hunt down uh, Bob Sorge on YouTube, uh, S-O-R-G-E. It is, if you have really limited time, shut this podcast off, go listen to Bob, because it's phenomenal. The Lord has always worked in times of stirring, sometimes even when it seemed uh, benign. It was still disruptive. In John 5, there's an account of the Pool of Siloam, where periodically the waters are stirred and peace is disrupted. This, this is water that angels would break the fourth wall. They'd break the, the rule and, and shake the water. And as it would be disrupted, the first person who got in got healed. The Bible doesn't record this, but I would guess there are people who were so freaked out about the waters being disturbed by the angelic realm that they panicked. But the healing went to the one who embraced the disruption and not to the one who became afraid of it. When things are under upheaval, 
the Lord has a way of ministering to people and meeting them where they are when they come to him with tenderness and they come to him with sincerity and using that disruption to impact their lives in a positive way towards him that he may not have gotten the same result during peaceful times. I think of Peter. I talked about this with our friends on Sunday. You know, Peter was told that he would deny Christ three times, and he denied that. No, I'll never do that. And of course, he goes on and denies Christ three times. Why did he deny Christ? Well, they were crucifying Jesus. And so when you're asked, are you associated with the one we're killing? It was pretty easy to say, no, I'm not associated. I don't even know who he is. I've never met him. Why? Because he was afraid of death. Some of you are wondering why that music just started. Because I hit the wrong button. And I can't edit it out. So we're all in this together, aren't we? But Peter is afraid of death. And because he's afraid of death, he denies Jesus. So after the resurrection, Jesus showed Peter that death could be beaten. And he returned to Peter and asked him three times if he loved him. Of course, Peter, every time, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Well, when he established that he loved him, then Jesus dropped the bombshell on Peter that would have sent Peter running three days earlier. He didn't tell him, Peter, everything's going to be okay. He didn't tell him, Peter, you really have nothing to worry about. He told him, the thing you're afraid of, it's actually going to happen to you. In John 21, 18 and 19, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to address yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch forth your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he goes on to describe how Jesus knew that Peter would be martyred. And you know what's fascinating? Peter, who was afraid of death a few days earlier, is restored by Jesus, then is told he would be martyred, And he serves him faithfully the rest of his life until it happened. What do you fear the most? What is your nightmare situation? With the resurrection, Jesus said, I have been there. And if I call you there, you can come out the other side. So is this good or is this bad for the church? This is good for the church. It's going to be hard, but it's good. Because where he calls us is always a place that he's already been. He's prepared the way. He's conquered it. Even our deepest fears. Hope you have a great week. I hope your uh, quarantine comes to an end soon, if that is an appropriate time for it. And if not, I pray that there's grace to walk it out. But this I know. The Lord is looking after his church and he's building it. And what he is doing really is beautiful.